Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Welcome to the Jen Lowry Writes podcast. Today, I have the extreme honor to introduce Kate DiCamillo. Like, how do I even introduce Kate DiCamillo, who's like right here on our screen, other than to tell you guys that she is a phenomenal, amazing author that I have been living in her world for for a long time as a teacher, but then as an author and a reader, um, it has just truly blessed my life. And so I want to tell you a little bit about Kate. I can say that first name, listen. Absolutely. (laughs) Kate DiCamillo's writing journey has been a truly remarkable one. She grew up in Florida and moved to Minnesota in her 20s when homesickness and a bitter winter led her to write because of Winn-Dixie. Her first published novel, which became a runaway bestseller and snapped up that Newbery honor, The Tiger Rising, her second novel, was also set in Florida and went on to become a National Book Award finalist. Since then, the best-selling author has explored settings as varied as a medieval castle and a magician's theater, while continuing to enjoy great success, winning two Newbery Medals and being named National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. She now has almost 30 million books in print worldwide. Guys, I just want to welcome you, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of otherworldly to listen to that introduction. It's like, who's that? Oh, and I could keep going and going and going. And if, and if you go to Kate's website, you'll be able to look at the tremendous list of books that you have on your shelf. Just, just such a wide variety too, which also gives authors that opportunity not to peg themselves into one place. Right. No, the important thing is, is just telling the story, you know, and sometimes when I, uh, when I feel overwhelmed and I think about, uh, what I want to do and who I want to be, it's always like the question is, what's the thing that matters to me? And it's to be the person who tells the story. So to honor the blank page, that's what I I say. I'm like, you've got a blank page, honor it. Right. Exactly. And so like show up, show up and honor it, show up and listen, Yeah. listen to the voice, no matter where the voice takes you, just take it, just, just let it be. That is, that is, you're singing my song. And so when I, okay, so guys, when I got, 
Beverly right here. You must get this. Okay. When I say you must get this book, you must get this book, but you can't start here. Like you really have to have the collection. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you my journey through. Um, I started, of course, with Rainy Nightingale. Absolutely fell in love. You can't put your book down. Like when you start, you might as well say, Goodbye, world. <laughs> I'm entering Kate's world now. Um, and when I say that in my head, I'm doing that Hawaii's world. Excellent. Like, like <laughs> Kate's world. Like, you have to stay. You can't put it down. I'm carrying it through the house. Like, <laughs> you can't. And so when I read Ramey, I was like, okay, I love Louisiana. I can't wait to pick up. But I had to go to work the next day. Not like, <laughs> my job and then, and then not go so I went to work guess what I did first thing I did when I got home start Louisiana oh, I had to because Louisiana she became like the heart of me like I love this this girl I'm like okay Louisiana is my song from my heart I'm like I love her but at the end of it all guess what ended up happening I, I can't, I really, 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 really like it. I just morphed into this strange creature of then loving them all. <laughs> and so now it's like, I can't live without the three of them. However, if you know, you're not supposed to choose between babies. Like these Girl, are all push came to shove. Which one? I'm amazed by that. <sighs> And I'm going to say that it's, it's the whole, the whole character development of her, like the whole tough as nails. But then when you get to the heart of her, when she started writing, I was named down in turkeys and just like, all of those little things, just the little simple things that makes her a walking, loving heart of a person. Oh. Yeah, and you know, so much about th this book is that she always had, I think, the capacity. Um, she can be very, she was tender when she showed up in Rainy Nightingale, very fierce, but very tender. And then, but by the time we get to this book, it's like Beverly uh, learning to let people love her and, and like letting her defenses enough down enough that, that she can be loved. She can love. But in this book, I think she learns to let herself be loved. And um, even in, and so what I love about the whole world that you build and everything, like, you know, that I had to read this again. I got, because of Winn-Dixie forever on my phone and my Kindle, like forever, it's never going <laughs> anywhere. Um, there is just this truth about what you write and you give children such a respectful place to live in your work because it's almost like when I read it it's like oh my gosh you've nailed the human experience in a way that a child can relate and not feel like they're alone oh what a beautiful thing to say that's a beautiful thing to say yeah because so many children are feeling alone and you know that's what that's what every good book 
I was going to say gave to me as a kid, but I think that's what it does for me now as an adult too. It's like you recognize your heart is not out there alone. I did a, I did a radio interview last night and uh, uh, this guy said, I, I have to tell you I'm 26. And so I, um, I read you growing up. And he said, uh, when he read Tale of Despero, it just makes me think about what you said. And this moved me so much. He said, I felt like somebody was telling me the truth. And, and I like, and that made me cry. Um, and it makes me cry now a little bit to say it, but it's just like, what a huge and wonderful thing that is. And that's what we look for in stories, right? Is somebody to tell us the truth. That's what I feel like with, um, Charlotte's Web, um, you know, it does that so beautifully. It's like, here it is. Here's the truth. And here's the comfort, too. And The know? Trumpet of the Swan is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, it's, and it does the same thing, right? But it's a place where you can wrestle with emotion. And you might not have the same experience. You might, have, you might not have the same heartbreak. But you have a heartbreak. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's about, and you have a heartbeat. And yeah. heartbeats are the hope. And that's what every single one of your books does. Oh, don't, you're not going to make me cry. Let's talk about writing or but something. It's true though. I mean, it cycles around to heartbreak, heartbeats, and hope. Everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you what I find. I have never done this before, ever. So I'll read a book and I love it. And it'll become on my top 10 list. Because <laughs> how do you pick, right? And so if I have to say, what are my top 10 books, right? I'll be like, the bronze bows. I love it forever. Narnia. I love it forever. The Hobbit. I will fight people over the Hobbit. <laughs> I will fight people if they say they've never read the Hobbit. I collect Hobbits and I carry them around in my car and I hand people Hobbits. Like when I find, as soon as I find out, I start begging, read. Um, and so I, so I connect myself, but you see how there are just these little silos of books. Yeah. So what I did when I knew that I was going to have this opportunity to have time with you, I was like, I'm going to live in Kate's world. You know, this is going to be <laughs> Kate's time and I'm going to devote my heart and my passion of writing and my love of reading and literature and live with your books. And I'm going to tell you, it has changed me as an author oh. because You'll read one. If you don't read all of the others, you're missing the bigger picture of the theme and the cycle and the beauty that you create that, that I think you get one and you love. Okay. If you read because of Win Dixie and that's all you ever read, congratulations. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You, <laughs> that forever. you see what I'm saying? I mean, I applaud because of Win Dixie. Go. But if you don't go to the world and you don't experience the world, you miss, you miss the heartbreak, the heartbeat, and the hope. I'm going to have to write that down. You're making me think of um, 
something I say quite a bit, which is the, the very first time I went and did a school visit when Dixie had just been published. And I was super excited because it was like I was going to get paid, you know, to go into a school and talk about this book that I had written. And so I was standing up at the front of the class with the teacher and she said to the kids, these were fifth graders. Okay, uh, here's the author. We're going to talk about the themes that are in this book. And I thought, oh, no, you know, what are those? <laughs> I mean, teacher language like we do. Yeah, well, I had no idea what the themes are. And the kids and the teacher, mercifully, they worked together to put the themes up on the board. Those themes that they came up with that day 20 years ago, those are the same things that, that cycle through everything that I've done. Those are, my, those are the preoccupations of my heart and soul. And those, that class was the first time it was pointed out to me. So what you're saying uh it resonates because of what those kids said yeah because it's authentic and it's true and so my son is 17 years old and he we were talking about this day and i was still in awe like is this happening i i heard an interview <laughs> one one time when you were like when you got the call for the newberry i was listening to one of your interviews and you were like i uh, say it again like <laughs> right like and so i'm gonna be honest when I got the email, I was like, I didn't say say it again. I'm like, okay, I'm getting spammed. I'm getting like, my husband's like, and you gave them your address to send the books. And I'm, I'm like, yes, and he's like, you know, and I'm like, no, the Lord has opened these doors. It's going to go. We're going to, no technology problem. You see how wonderful it is. So I was talking to my son last night. We were taking a walk. And he was, we were talking about, I was like, what was it about Because of Winn-Dixie? Because he read Because of Winn-Dixie and A Tale of Desperate when he was young. Oh. On his own, just independent reading, no assignment, just picking up. And he goes, they were simple stories, but they meant something. Oh. And he remembered. That's high praise. From a 17-year-old yeah. who just turned 17 yesterday on his birthday, we were talking about that. And because they do. When you walk away from your work, it matters. It matters to you. It matters. You give them a safe place to feel something. You got to tell that son, A, happy birthday, and B, thank you. Tell him I said thank you. But it's simple, but simple, but meaningful. And it's like, why overcomplicate the heart? Right. Right, right, right. No, it's a beautiful, it's a, tell him he could write blurbs for the back of books. Yeah, yeah. Simple, simple and moving and, and all yeah, that. No, it sounds, it's like, it's a huge compliment. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it comes to me, like, when I read your work, that's like, when I told you, like, how I felt after coming out of each one, you have to go into the next one. You have to move into the next one. So here's all of, so here's my stack of where I have lived with you. And here is my stack of where I'm still going with you. <laughs> so I have my stack, I still have my stack. And this is not even close enough to the stack. But I have the benefit of being in a school that has a public library. And oh. so I love that I have a stack um, that I'm still going to go through. And then they're doing interlibrary loan until I can finish. You're going to read everything. 
everything. I will read everything because it is so valuable for an author to do this. This is from an author's craft point of view. When I did the books, just to, to read them for enjoyment and for love, just the love of the experience of reading, there's something else that happens to it. It becomes more of an author study of the craft, of the beauty of language, of just the writing and not overcomplicating a story structure, just going with the natural flow oh. of, just, of just telling story. And I've, to me, reading all of yours. Okay, so, oh my gosh, seriously. <laughs> like, seriously. Okay, Mercy Watson. And then you get to me, Mercy, in here, over here, and I'm like, I do that. I'm not alone. I'm not the, author, the only author that does that. And so, because I'll like cross-reference my characters in different books, and I'll like, this is a cousin over here. How do I make cousins? <laughs> I didn't even know they were cousins till I'm starting to write. Like, did you plan all this out or did that happen just the fly? You know, I think it's funny because I haven't, I haven't really thought about that since it happened. And what happened was I did the very first Mercy Watson and I thought, oh, it's so much fun. I'm going to do three of them. And then, and then I did, I ended up doing six. And, and I, you remember um, Mary Tyler Moore show? Yeah, um, and they do that group hug at the end, and and you're so like grateful to them for like stopping while the show was still good. And I thought I should stop with Mercy. It's like that's six of them. That's enough. But I found that I really missed it, and so then I thought, oh, what if I did one just about like Leroy Ninker? And then the brilliant um, uh, president and publisher of Candlewick, uh, when I turned that in, she said, Hey, what if we like make this like a Mercy Watson is more of a bridge into a novel and then this becomes like one step up reading wise and you spread out a little bit and I'm like, oh boy, I could like feel a door open inside of me. So, and it, then it was just like, wow, well, I did six Mercy Watsons. I'm going to do six Dekawoo drives. And it was just like, you know, that feeling of like, oh, I didn't realize that was hidden inside of me, you know? And so, um, when you sit down and you've got your blank page in front of you. Yeah, the blank I know, page. I Let's know talk about a, it. I know you have a notebook and I and I tell all my people I always have a place to write. Always Don't have you have a notebook? Oh yeah. Here's my notebook. I have journals for everything. I just keep journal notebooks, tons of them. My best friend, she knows what to buy me for Christmas. My kids know what to buy me for Mother's Day. It's like you've <laughs> gotta have journals because and I so do you do you have a different journal for different things or? So I have a podcast journal where I keep things and notes and things like that when I do study, but no, I just have tons of stacks of notebooks and I just write, 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 write. How do you find stuff in them later? Oh, I just go through. And so I kind of like, I know, it's like I have a good memorization. That's like a study technique because I wrote it. I know where it's at and I'll go back and find. Uh -huh. And then once that book is done, there's my notebook. It's done. Wow. Yeah. So what I do is I, I, I have a journal for the morning that I do uh, after I've written. And then I have an afternoon notebook. And that afternoon notebook, anything, I mean, I'll make lists in there. And it's the, it's the one that I always have with me. But, but like, let's talk about the blank page because process yeah. is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, what I do 
is I have an automatic coffee maker that goes off at 5.15. Um, and so I come downstairs, I pour the coffee, and I go into the office um, here in the house, and I, I write two pages. Um, and then I go back upstairs uh, with the coffee and I write in the journal. But so what I found over time, it's all like, I'll break that down a little bit. Like the two pages was all this, you know, for when I was in my twenties and I knew that I wanted to write and I wasn't writing. And I finally started to write and uh, I thought, how can I make a goal that I know I can keep right because that's so important it's just like so it's like okay i'm not going to sit down to write a novel but i can sit down and write two pages each day right so that's what i started when i was working full-time and it's what i still do now i found that i'm a morning person yeah me too but i used and to be a night out yeah, yeah but it's just like some people this is not this is when i'm at at my best is at five mm -hmm. you know and i've got one foot in the dream world and one foot in the real world, that seems to be very uh, beneficial for me too. So I do those two pages right away before I do anything else, before I have time to talk myself out of it, before the rest of the world is up, before anybody needs anything from me. Um, and by the time, and then that thing, the thing that matters the most is done, you know, yeah. for the, the day. And you get to go around for the rest of the day thinking I did that, you know? And so it's kind of like this little ball of light that's in you all the time. So that's and it. And so I do the early morning too. A long time ago, I used to do the late night work. I can't do that. I'm 44 years old now and I've changed. Like my whole cycle clock, everything about the way that I work is better in the morning. And I but, really but can't we should, it, it, It's interesting to me that people, because everybody who wants to do this or is working to do this, every, we all want to know what's the right way. And, and there isn't one other than if you know that it's something that you want to do and you're not doing it, that's wrong. But otherwise, yeah, it's like figuring out what, you know, like you said, you could do it at, at night and now you can't anymore. So it's like paying attention to yourself and what works, you know. But I think it's giving the, the, yourself a protected space. Yeah, that's absolutely the place that you yeah. need to find what is protected. And if it is like for me, early morning, I'm the same with you. The world is not awake yet. Nope. And so there's nothing dinging on my phone. There's no work emails. There's nothing pressing. The kids are zonked out. I have that protected space. Right. And, and it's that's it. It's like your space, your time. And it's just in uh, it's you know, it's, it, it's not a super big struggle, struggle for me to get up until it's like the dead of winter. But when it is, when it gets to be a little bit of a struggle, it's like, it's so worthwhile for what you get in return, you know? Um, and I've got my body conditioned to, to get up for that. So I don't have to, do you have to like set alarms or anything? Well, there are times when the alarm doesn't even, I get it before, but 5.30 is my alarm. So, so I do it, yeah, I'm 5.30 alarm, but there are some, one day I woke up and it was like 4.45 and I just got up minding my own business, go downstairs and I'm like, what am I doing? Have I lost my mind? Like why? But yeah, 5.30 for me. Um, and I tried to start that last summer. It's like the routine, like you said, and people will ask me all the time, 
how are you a teacher? How are you literacy coach all day? You know, you've got this, then you homeschool at night. Lady, what are you doing? How do you manage your life? It's your priority and it's your protected time. And it's that passion you put into it when you're there. You can sustain it. You can have goals. Like, so, so I do the goal setting. This is what I'm doing for the whole month of November. You know, I'm living in Kate's world and I'm editing a novel. Like I know what I'm doing at all times. There's not a day that I sit back and say, oh, I'm bored today. (laughs) So you're getting up um, and what you're working on in the morning now is editing? Yes. So are you rewriting to somebody's notes or are you, how are you doing it? So I'm writing, I'm just going back through and doing this, the cold edits going straight through on a manuscript that really needed some cleaning up. It was a book two in a series. And my thing was I stepped away too long. Yeah. And then I'm like, nah, I shouldn't have done that. I should have went back to back right away. And so now and I'm doing it cleaning up before I move to the editing stage with my editor. And, and then you'll turn it into your editor and then your editor will give you the letter. They'll give me, they'll give me the feedback. <laughs> and then I'll say, thank you so much. And then I'll go straight back into it again with a positive attitude because I know it's going to make it better. Right. No, it does. It does. The first response is never a generous one, though. I, I always say that what I think when I get that editorial letter is, if you know so much, why don't you write a novel? You know, and I'm I never... Just- and, and then I spread it out and do it, you know. I look at every, so um, I have one come out 2020. And, and so when I got the first one that said, this is a lovely line. I held on to that one. <laughs> I held on to that. And every time I got this, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is a lovely line. This is a lovely line. That's it. I had a lovely line out of <laughs> 90,000 words. I'm in it to win it. I got this. And so I think that that's what helped me. But I was like, I heard you say before, a late bloomer, like you came into this late. Yeah, that's what I used to say. Although I think about it now, now I'm 55. I think, well, I don't know, 30 something isn't that old. <laughs> I know. There's like, so here I was last year coming into this. And so I was 43. And so when I looked at that, I was like, wait a minute. She's saying <laughs> late to the game. And it's just because, like, so you would go around saying, I want to be a writer, but I'm not writing anything. Yeah. Where was that internal shift for you, though? What was that catalyst that finally just pushed you through that, that excuse barrier, that wall? It's hard to like um, pinpoint it. And when I go in and I talk to kids and, and, and explain to them that I wanted this for so long and wasn't doing it. And then I talk to them about, um, you know, when you finally do have something to send out what you get back. And I love it because they, I, I say, so you have a story and you send the story out. What do you get back? And they always say the same thing, money. And it's like, <laughs> see, no, it's not money. What you get is a rejection letter. And so then I talk to them about how many rejection letters I got. And they'll ask, well, why did you keep on going? And this is where I get back to like that, that thing of finally starting. I, I think that I spent so much, I got sick of hearing myself say that I wanted to do this thing. It was actually easier 
to, to do the thing than it was to like collar everybody and say, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. I just, I think it was kind of, I don't say this to the kids, but it, it was self-disgust. It's like, I can't stand talking about this anymore and not doing anything about it. That overcame what I think it is for most of us, which is uh, the fear of like, I'm going to sit down and do this. And then what? What if I can't? Nothing's going to happen. So I, it, it was like getting older. It was that kind of self-loathing. And it was, uh, I remember I was working at a campground um, and I was sitting up at the ranger station with uh, uh, one of my fellow workers named Oscar. And I was telling him how I wanted to be a writer and blah, 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 blah. And he said, but that's on you. That ain't on nobody but you. And that seemed revelatory at, to me at the time. It's like, that's, that's right. It's just me. So I'll start. And it didn't take a PhD. It didn't take a... doesn't uh, take anything. It doesn't take an MFA. It doesn't take a PhD. It doesn't take a BA. It takes reading, reading all the time, being brave enough to sit down and do the writing, rewriting. And then what I say to the kids is keeping everything open, which is what the notebook is a reminder of, of me for. Like you did like keep your eyes open, your ears open, um, your heart open, your mind open. There's a wonderful quote from Flannery O'Connor, the writer must never be ashamed of staring. There's nothing that does not require her attention. And when you read, then so I, I remember hearing the, the story about the warehouse, like you were just, <laughs> You got to tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, 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 it was fortuitous. I mean, um, and, and I look back on it and it seems unbelievable because I mean, I came to the, I moved to Minnesota. I got a job at the book warehouse, which was fantastic. It was a book distributor and I was assigned to the third floor. The third floor was all children's books. And, and so like I entered into that job, I had started to write and I was sending stories out to literary magazines, but it, I wasn't writing for children. And then I started to read those books. I read the Watsons, but of Birmingham, 1963. And I read Bridge to Terabithia and I thought, I want to try to do something like this. So. And, yeah. when you, and when you look back, that was not a coincidence. That was not a mistake. That was your call no, in the it, middle it's, of a book warehouse. Yeah, it's part of like, it, and it seems, but it also seems like, you know, if I hadn't moved to Minnesota, if I hadn't, I remember finding the ad for the one ad in the paper for that job and saying to a friend, I would do this job for free. I was so excited. I was going to be around books all the time, you know? So anyway, it was just, it was the best possible thing. It was a gift. Yeah. Because then it opened a door that you probably would have never opened yourself. No. You would not have had that spark of the books that are right. And talk about having to have a, an, an MFA or a BA or, I mean, I got a free education at that. I read my way through that warehouse. I just read everything. And it was, um, it was really divine to be there. It was a huge gift. And here's something that I stopped myself from doing for a very long time. You see that I am not that way at all anymore. But in the past, I would be like, I would be so scared to read. It would almost be like I would be so scared because I would be comparing myself to someone else. 
And then there's the self-doubt and that loathing that comes in that says, well, you're not good enough. You're never going to be like this person. I was never meant to be that person. I'm right. just, and, and once I got that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't stop reading. Like I have multiple books all the time going. It, I can't get enough of it. And it's not that I'm trying to be like this person or I'm trying to model after and, and take that. No, I just love it. Right. Like, you want to immerse yourself. Yeah, I missed a part of myself by saying I don't have time to read. You know, yes, we do. We have time to read. We have time to do a lot of things. We have time to be on social media and Facebook and check in and do this. We have time to read, even if it's 20 minutes a day with my kids, like at school. You know, I'm reading 20 minutes a day at school. I have that 20 minutes and then I'm sneaking books all the time. I'm like, okay, it's lunch. Let me do this. And oh, we're having a tutoring session right now. You guys are good. Y'all are doing math. I'm reading. That's what I'm doing. And it's like, yeah. And you know, I feel like, cause I try to schedule when I'm home, um, in the afternoon, like it, all I need is like an hour, um, with a book and a notebook. And I feel like it is literally like it grounds me. It's like I enter my body and it's like, it is so necessary for my soul and my heart and my brain. And so I've learned like, I don't, cause it seems like such a luxury to sit down at four o'clock and read, but I, it, I've let myself know that this is like necessary for my survival. And so, and so you've, like, you've built it into your routine. Yep. And I feel like that is, if we strip away everything, it's routine, it's consistency, it's goal setting, and then it's the belief system, the belief system that we have about ourselves, right? And, and how we approach that page. Because if it becomes about us, then that's the blocker. The page will stay blank. It has to become about the story and the character. That's right. It's always that thing where I, I say it all the time. I say it to myself. I say it in interviews. I got to get out of my own way. And, and it's just like there's, it's, and I feel like, um, you know, the blinders that the horses have on, that's, that's what you, it's like that. It's like, nope, I, it's not my job to ask this question or that question. Are people going to like it? Is it any good? Don't know. My job is to listen and to get it down on the page and to not stop myself by asking all those questions that really aren't my business. <laughs> because then, then that's like, you're not letting it live. You're not letting right. it breathe. And so right. And another thing, right. Another thing I tell myself all the time, and I just had this discussion with myself earlier in the day is this whole idea of something being perfect. It's like, and I, I wrote this in my notebook. It's just like, it, it, that is not the goal because it perfect, perfect is, is dead on the page. You know, it's like, you cannot, if you, if you make it perfect, you, you crush it. So you have to make it as good as you can make it. And then you have to let it go out into the world knowing that it's imperfect and it's imperfect heart will find the imperfect heart of, of other people. Yes. And then, like, for example, when I'm reading your work and then I see the words like thingamajig <laughs> on the page, I'm like, she's speaking my language. Like, I kind of have a little accent anyway, but when I'm reading your work, it is like it fits my soul. Like the whole 
voice of your characters. This this it all just seems to make sense to me. Oh. Like when I enter in, it's so accessible. And so I'm from North Carolina, a very small town where relationships matter. Mm-hmm. And then I got picked up out of that little tiny world that I lived in for my whole life and planted near Raleigh, the big city, <laughs> where it's so busy and we have big roads. That's what I still call them. I'm on the <laughs> Like, seriously, I'm from a place with three stoplights. This doesn't happen in my, like, life. And here I am anyway, living it out. <laughs> so I can escape back. And I think, like, when I write, I write what I know, my comfort, my love, my hometown, my relationships, just, just honoring the relationships that people can have that are often missed in places that that I'm now at it's such a fast-paced world when you stop into a book and you get relationships like you have it reminds you of home well and it's that thing where I'm like uh, you know I've been going out and uh, traveling around uh, touring for Beverly and and I am such a shy person I have to say you know it is like I'm back there before I go out on stage thinking I can't I can't I can't sometimes I've got my head between my knees you know and and then I get out there and I think and I start to talk with people and I think this is what I'm after all the time is that connection and it's what I, I I need it so much, and that's so much of what the stories are too is looking for that connection. And you know, you're talking about growing up in a small town in North Carolina. I grew up in a very small town in Central Florida, and I think about when you're talking, I'm thinking about the dead end street that I grew up on, and how it was like families on one side, and there were these three widow ladies on the other side, Mrs. Lucas, Mrs. Lindemann, and Mrs. Broadfield, and all those ladies had fantastic gardens and front porches and back porches. And we were, all us kids were welcome front porch, back porch yard. And it was just like, I think about how much that shaped me, you know, sitting with them, talking with them, having them open their doors to all of us. And it's like, I think that part of that storytelling impulse for me comes from that, you know? But it's also how you revere elders in your books. Well, I, I, I guess that's because I got so loved up by them when I was a kid. They made me feel seen, you know, and, and um, my very, uh, you know, I have a brother who's three years older who uh, it couldn't be more different than I am. And uh, he started a corporation when he was like 12 years old, made these ladies across the street sit on his board of directors. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they were there for us. You know, and like we had these, and and saw us, and and um, I'll never be able to repay that. It's kind of like I, and and in talking about it, I think about Iola, yes. uh, and letting Beverly into that trailer. She sees who she is, and she helps her see herself, and that's what those ladies did for me. And I'm going to love you regardless. Yeah, and right. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to show you kindness. And even if you might not have the model and then like even with because of Winn-Dixie and then you're walking into a library and you're giving a child an opportunity that maybe has never had an opportunity to walk into a library. And we have that today. Like we have school librarians, but when you're talking about in big cities, 
Do they go to the public library? Do they get that opportunity to walk in? Do they get that opportunity to walk in someone's garden and have a party? But they do when they live in your world uh -huh. and you let them see that it's possible. And it is possible. You're planting that seed of kindness and empathy in a child. And when they're grown, they may not have a clue where it comes from. They may not have a clue how it manifested and how it happened, but you're planting all of those seeds of forgiveness and acceptance. And so when they're embraced with that in their life, it's a seed from, from Beverly. But we're planting it together, the, 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 the writer and the reader. The reader. Yeah, it's, it, it is, we're planning it together. I need them. Um, yeah. in, in order to be open to be yeah open. and and we it's like it's literally like we're doing that together you know um, and, and that's what makes it beautiful with what you do and I think honestly that's what sets your work apart from other work because the, the seeds like they're they're planting me and then and so here I am I feel like I'm a pretty good adult here you know I'm living <laughs> like you know you know, I try my best to do to do this life and, and help people and, and nurture and grow. And then every time, and then I'm walking out of your book going, now I need to be a little bit more understanding because I'm not sure where they're coming from. And so you've got a child who might have a pinched up face, but you don't know what happened to her brother a year ago. Right. Or you might, I mean, you might have a boy in a convenience store that's hiding books under counters that you could have a wonderful conversation with. I mean, it's just like, it's amazing. I, 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 <laughs> you're breaking my heart because I think about it and I think I can't, it's the same feeling. This is what the feeling is. It's the same feeling I have listening to you as when I write where it's that thing of, it's all something better than me. And it, it comes back to that thing of like, it's my job to get out of my own way because it's like, it's something better and smarter than I am. And oh, yeah. I just to get out of the way and let it come on in. And it comes from a spirit place. Yeah, no, it's not. It's like, it is way smarter and better than me. Yeah. And then I when I'm trying though, but when you go to when you go to the author tours and you're going into those events before you step on that stage, just know that you're representing the heart and the life of your characters. It's not even it's not even really Kate. It's it's the character. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I'll see it. I'll say to my best friend, I'm I'm like I it's it's overwhelming you know sometimes to be uh, to be out there and to do the and to do the signing line and to and to hear people and in, in, in what she says and, and it's so wonderfully grounding it's not about you pumpkin yeah and it's not so it's not. no and so, so then the next time you have an event it's it's about beverly right no it's, it's beverly not about needs this you've if you've got a champion beverly because everybody needs to meet her. <laughs> and I will tell and I will tell you, it's if it, they need to they need to meet all of your work. Not just Beverly, not just Rainy in Louisiana, who I I'm leaving out of Louisiana and I'm livid. I'm living at Granny and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
my girl. And then I know she's, she's got, oh, and then I'm just, ah, and I'm doing all of this. <laughs> and so you're champion every unique story. They're so unique, even though they're intertwined, but, the, but it's just, you're their champion. You just honor who they were. You are in the, in the way that like I say, you honor the elder community where they're often like, so in, in one of my books, I have an elder paranormal team. And so <laughs> the golden girls going and being ghostbusters, like <laughs> the golden girls and it's my mom and my aunt dot. And so they're the sisters and they're like, and I actually called my aunt dot the oldest woman living in America. <laughs> you know, that you're patterned after this, but I'm not calling you the oldest woman in America. Uh, <laughs> but I just love how you take ordinary, everyday people. Ordinary. They're not in space suits. They're not shooting off to Mars. They're not doing all of these grand feats to save the environment. They're living their life. And, they, and hopefully they're, they're connecting with yeah. other people that's yeah. that's the thing that i'm always after you know and they're passing the wisdom they're passing the wisdom now go be friends with those boys down the street now this is my forgiving tree like you're passing on the wisdom and you're planting those seeds and i'm telling you right away with your humor in your books the way that you craft your books that opens the heart of a reader and they settle in and so when the heart is open look at all that space there is for them to to receive and so it's just like you're just planning it all and then when the book is closed it's grounded in there you've pounded it in there <laughs> being forceful without being preachy without it's just amazing and it's like wow i'm just in awe of the gift and the talent that is you and I'm well just, it's not me it's not me you're the vehicle though you're allowing it to happen you went after that you i went, get up in the morning yeah you go out. i get up in, in the morning and do the work at the same time that you're getting up and doing the work right it's nice it's so comforting to think about all of us shuffling over to the coffee machine do you drink coffee yes and I have a little press and I have to stand on my tiptoes and press it down. It's like the hardest thing in the world. But I, but I press all this little press and I have my coffee. In the I love a coffee press, but I have to say, it's like, there is like something about like that whole odor coming upstairs to like make me come down more easily. And it's just like, and I also, I've learned I don't want to stand there and even wait for the coffee press and because then you can wander off and think, I'll just do this thing before, you know, and then it's, so it's just that thing of like, I try to, I try to get myself in there before anything, uh, mostly me stops myself. And so I hear you talk about these self-affirming behaviors that you do. I said this to myself. I wrote this to myself. Oh. And so I did a whole lesson with my kids and showing them positive psychology and saying, guys, and then I'm challenging the people on the podcast. We've got to hold each other accountable for this kind of work because we, well, well, we have to be gentle with ourselves, but, but we have to be, you know, uh, 
I, somebody said to me once, the way to, the first thing you do when you love other people is take care of yourself. That is the first thing. And so the, and this is the way that I can take care of myself is by doing this thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do. So this is the way for me to be honest and true to myself. And it's like, it, it, it's those two pages set the rest of the tone for the day. I, and I know who I am when I'm, when I'm doing them, right? Do you go back later because you can't stand it? Or do you just use that space to write it down? You just write yeah, it? no, I don't. And, and I work so slowly. So, and I have changed a little bit. And like, by the time I get to, so I do multiple drafts. By the time I get to like the, say the fourth or the fifth draft, then I'll, I'll be doing two, sometimes maybe three, but usually two sessions a day where I'm still telling myself, okay, just two pages, then you can get up, right? But when I'm in the very beginning of a story, it's two pages and then I'm up and I don't, I, I don't come back to it at all. In the afternoon when I let myself read and I have the notebook, random thoughts might occur. I'll write them down in the notebook, but I don't go back to the story. And, uh, and so, I, but the story is there waiting for me the next morning. Is that how you do it? No, I'm a, I'm more of a sprint writer just because when I have the summers off, I have an opportunity when I'm not homeschooling, my kids are off and, and I'm not with the work environment, even though I'm still talking with teachers and helping them throughout the summer because our brains never stop as teachers, even in the summer break. Um, but that's when I really dedicate and focus hours of time hours and so you can sit there for hours hours because i i lose my mind like i have to be doing it it's it's like it's like this passion in me that says and i can't stop when i stop and i move away from it my mind is still swirling with it and oh then, wow and so my friend warned me she's like when you close a book up don't don't worry is the next one coming there's going to be some more voices that are going to come at you and right so, and There's, I don't believe it until I experienced it myself and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm closing out a book and I'm sad because it's a trilogy and I love these people so much and I just, I adore them and I adore how they've changed and grown and I've grown with them and I don't want to say goodbye. Then all of a sudden I start thinking my boyfriend's back and I'm going to be in trouble and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this the new book? And now it's going to be a ghost coming back and what? What? <laughs> It's like, I'm like, okay, I got to start. And it's like, boom, I start all over again. It's like, <laughs> I go, I, I, I can't, I can't do it any other way. And right now it feels so odd that I'm in this just an editing phase only because my son is begging me to write like book two of his favorite book in the entire world that, that he claims that I wrote, which is odd because my child is so, my seventh grader is really tough as nails as a critique person, but he's constantly giving me all these ideas of how I need to do book two. And it's so hard that I, I'm doing editing now, all I wanna do is write. That's all I wanna do. And so do you put, do you put stuff in the notebook then? Yes, I write, cause I'm all like- All those ideas? Oh yeah, cause I'm like, Sam, if we don't write these down, I'm like, I know you want a puma with a scarred eye. He's gotta have a scar on his face and he's walking in. like. Like, come on, you named him Shane O'Malley. We gotta write all these things down. If we don't, we're gonna, 
And so here I am writing everything down with my son and he's making Google Docs himself because sometimes he'll say, I forgot to tell you this, but I got it on a Google Doc. And I'm like, oh, oh my darling, cheat, cheat, cheat. So that is fantastic. He's wanting to help me with book two. So definitely Sam's name is going on the cover of my book because he is helping me with book two. He can't stand it. He's like, are you, come on, really? I know it's because he wants to be a wildlife biologist. And anytime you give an opportunity for an animal to talk, like the tale of Despero talking with humans, he was like, okay, we haven't had them interact with humans yet. They're just talking within the animal community. <laughs> How about we take this in book two, where there's a champion, there's a little boy. And I'm like, okay, Sam, and what's his name? And he's gone. And I'm, I got to write notes down, Sam. So yeah. So oh, I, that's fantastic. I, I have and his name will be on the cover. Oh, yeah. His name's going to be on the cover. No oh. doubt about it. 100%. Oh. As I love being a hybrid author. It's weird calling myself a hybrid because I'm thinking of myself as a car. But I love it where I'm traditionally published and self-published at the same time because then I can have that autonomy to honor my child and put my child right there. <laughs> yes gonna be like right there um and i'll be able to lift him up and he'll have that forever i was gonna say that that is a gift that will be there always and, and they're working on it with you too oh, you yeah. know oh yeah who knows my little wildlife biologist might be an author himself one day that's what it sounds like to me regardless they love reading they love experiencing books because we still read aloud together well, you know, that's like, that is like one of my absolute favorite things to talk about. And, and the thing that to me still seems mysterious and wonderful, that kind of like how that connects everybody in a way that, I don't know, maybe the science will explain it at some point, but it's just like, it happens in a classroom. It happens at home. It happens in a nursing home. It's just like you go in, you read a story, something subterranean happens where people connect without having the words for what happens. So, uh, and, and, you know, people will say, oh, my kids are, my kids can read on their own now. They don't need, and it's like, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about being in the story together, you know? Yeah. And you should see Best Buddies Book Club on Thursdays where my students are reading aloud to their mentor students. It's magic. It is magic and it is changing lives right there in a seat holding a book. And yeah. then how can write in their journal, I see this student now as a treasure and they are a gift. When before they would say, this person is, is far removed from me and, and I joked them or I didn't see them in this way. And the book brought them together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're singing my song. And, you know, and it's like I, it's teachers in classrooms. It's like I try to thank them as much as I can for that. They have no idea because you don't, you don't realize it when you're a kid. You don't realize it until you're an adult that you, what they gave you. And so no one's thanking them now. And I feel like that's part of what I need to do is to thank them. And I do it every chance I get. It is, it is like you said, it's changing lives. Because I'll never forget my fifth grade teacher, Miss Joan Locklear, reading Jack Tales. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like no, a, I don't know it. Oh, it's, it's adorable, and it's just like the daily adventures of Jack, and he's going off, and he's getting the bulls, and he's and he's conning the giant, and they're like Appalachian Trail type 
um, old timey stories and she did it in her country slang. And I named the character's last name after her. Oh. You give the passion of that read aloud. She would get us all together at the end of the day, right before the bell rang and before we would go home, it would be her last words that we would hear reading that book. It, that's the magic. That's it's the magic. magic. And, and here's enough about you to read a book with you. Right. It's an act of love. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, that, that is so true. And I, and I, as I say to the teachers, it's just like, I think, you know, like I, my mom read to me, my mom bought me books. My mom took me to the library. The house is filled with books. And I was like living for that at school. So it's like, what does it mean to the kid who's not getting it any other place? It is literally, truly life-saving. And now with, um, with technology and with so many other things to take up time and space in people's lives, in youth's lives, sometimes I see books are becoming farther removed. And so it's my job as literacy coach to bring them back together, bring them back to their one of their first loves. And that was the feeling that it was holding a shiny book in your hand and not knowing where you're gonna get to go that day. Right. right. And, so, and so here I am working with high school students and I'm bringing them back. Well, you've got to tell me what your childhood book is. Curious George. Well, we're going to go get your Curious George just so you can hold Curious George again. And I'm talking about, I'm working with ninth graders. It's like you've got to bring the love back. Because I think over time, if they don't have the reading experiences, if they don't have the access as much as we wish that they would, they lose sight of that love. Yep, no, that, that is so true. And it's true for the full-grown adults, too. It's just like I had a, I can't remember where I was, sometime in the past month, mother-son come through, um, and the, the son had read Tale of Despero, and then he liked it so much he wanted his mother to read it. Oh, yeah. And he bothered her so much about it that she read it, and she, and she liked it, but what happened with her was it reminded her that she was a reader and she just hadn't, she hadn't been reading. And so it gave reading back to her, you know, and it's like, so adults need to be reminded too. It's that thing that we were saying about like, you know, I, I make sure I schedule that time in the day to get it. I get it at, at night before I go to, right before I go to sleep, but I want to end the day too, because of the grounding luminous quality of it for me. It is. It is. It's an escape. Yeah. But it's also a way that as authors, we learn. We learn just by going through the roller coaster of the emotions. Sometimes we need to just read about Beverly to tap into an emotional place that we well, have that we just might have forgot about. And, and I think that, that what you get too is that like you without even knowing it, you absorb the whole idea of narrative arc. It becomes a part of you, right? And so when you sit down to do it yourself. It's kind of like you have internalized that in a way that you, you didn't even know. So you don't plot anything out, do you? You just two days. No, I don't. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't. There's freedom in that. There is so much freedom in that. There's freedom and terror in that. <laughs> but when you realize it's not your story to tell, is it terrifying? Um, yeah. And that, it, it, but it, I get to this point where once it becomes it's like, okay, it's a thing. Now, now I, my job is to show up 
And I feel like, and you'll understand this as a hobbit lover, I feel like some hairy-footed little creature who's got this goblet of something precious. My job is to carry it without dropping it. And so that's, I think, maybe where the, the terror comes from. It's just like I am, I'm just a, I'm a chipmunk, like with this, this big thing that I have to carry and not damage. That's, you know, that's kind the of the feeling. The responsibility of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the getting weight it. of the responsibility of knowing that and because your work is so meaningful and powerful and simple and beautiful <laughs> <laughs> that 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 responsibility then you just have to say go fly yeah go baby go do your thing i carried it as far as i could here it is yeah and then the work speaks for itself and then it does it all because i'm telling you i'm absolutely in love with your books and i just feel i feel so blessed as an adult that i've had this opportunity to live in the worlds of you because it just makes me stronger as a person, as an adult, but as a teacher, because then I'm thinking, okay, think about the lived experiences every day of a 14 year old. I teach 14 year olds and maybe that's why Beverly resonated with me. I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, not, but my child is, I don't have a 12 year old and you know, 17, but I think it's because I live in that world every day in my career. And I've taught in elementary school before, but there's something about that high school age, that ninth grade age, and you just perfectly placed Beverly into my hands and, and gave me an opportunity then to understand through her eyes. And so that way, when I look at my students, it's a, it's a different look now. I feel it in the classroom just by reading about Beverly. And so now Beverly, like I told you, she's like, that's my girl. <laughs> that's my girl. What are you talking about? Louisiana used to be my girl. She's still my girl. I'm not going to leave Ramey out. I won't leave them out. They're this room and chair. They got to stick together here. But I'm telling you, Beverly's my girl. Oh, she's, I, I feel super uh, happy for her. And like, she's lucky to have you, you know, yeah. it's one more person to see her, you know, how when Elmer um, draws that picture of her towards the end and like, she doesn't even know that's how she looks. Mm -hmm. And so you're see, yeah, she folds it up because she does, that's not, but like, that's, that's what you're doing for your seeing her. Yeah. Um, and it matters. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your time with me. I feel oh, it has been fantastic. I it's just feel been so blessed. heart expanding. So yeah. I just, so for all of you guys out there on the Jen Lowry Wright pod, podcast, oh, see, you got me all tongue-tied. I'm about to get all emotional over here. I can't even say the name of my show. Um, just all of us, keep Kate in our prayers. And just the work to continue to flow and for you to just go out with that strength and that heart to know that you are the champion of every single character that you've had the honor to introduce to the world to us. And it's just, it's amazing. And so just thank you. Any last words of wisdom to all my writing people and my reading people out there in the world? Show up. Show up. That's it.
And that's what I'm going to try to do too. And thank you. And oh, this, it matters. It matters. So thank you. Ah, so thank you so much, Kate. Guys, share your story with the world. Get out there, show up. Let's start saying that to ourselves. That can be part of our self-affirming statement that we say, now I'm, I'm, I'm here, now it right. matters. I'm here, it matters. And right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I'm going to end our recording. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.